This is the second part of my interview with my friend Kang. We continued our discussion on storytelling, and this time we put our focus on the practical side of storytelling. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go check that out. And without further ado, here is the interview. Let's move on to some practical ways in which storytelling can be used to influence people. One of the ways is an empathy-inducing technique, which has been put to practice by charities. If we cycle back a little bit to the question that we worked on in the last episode, we talked a little bit about the extreme effectiveness of storytelling in certain situations, and you gave your take on why storytelling is so effective. Now, I'd like to give my opinion as well. My theory is that we as humans have an innate proclivity to put ourselves into the shoes of other people when we are presented with compelling stories, such as the way that we react to hearing anecdotes. That the stories we actually buy into sometimes become emotion-inducing. In this particular case, the charities, rather than giving statistics, give a story. Sometimes it's a story of a certain little girl in Africa who lives in poverty. Or it's a story of an abandoned lion who was kept illegally as a pet. These stories are more memorable and have more power to move people to the point where they feel like they should be doing something in a way that statistics can't. It's almost as if knowing the actual statistics makes it less special somehow, or takes away a connection somewhere, or makes you feel like the five bucks you're about to donate is just like a drop in the ocean. You were going to say something. Well, um, I was just going to give a bit of my comments on this this example that you give, but you can keep. But are you done? If you're not, then... no, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. So here's my take on this situation. I think that when you know someone's story, when you hear their stories through direct or through the media, for example, then you're more likely to. Resonate with them and relate to them, and I think it's just human nature to be more supportive of those we understand. Because in this case, their problems are your problems, and you're more inclined to help them. And naturally, you're more inclined to help those you empathize with than the nameless strangers or <clears throat> the nameless and faceless bunch of people. We have talked about how we ourselves can utilize storytelling to great effect in many ways. So let's move on to another interesting question: How have we been influenced unknowingly by storytelling in our daily life? One of the ways that we are consuming stories is through television. Obviously, if you're watching films and dramas on TV, then it really helps the producers of those shows to make the storytelling as good as possible, because that's the whole point. But some other shows on TV, like reality shows, sometimes get accused of being scripted, which I believe, for some, the accusation is true. And the producers of the reality shows know that sometimes a little bit of storytelling is good for engaging the audience and thus good for profit. Ads work the same way too. There is this ad、um, for Disneyland Paris, 
which considering our demographic, not many of the audience will know about it, but it's a great example of how ads and marketing work to influence us. So in this ad, the tiniest, cutest little duckling found a Donald Duck comic book and became a fan of Donald. When its duck family migrated, it had to leave the comic book behind. After days of harsh weather, the sun finally rises again and the family settled and they found themselves at Disneyland in Paris, where the duckling finally got to meet its hero, Donald Duck. Not all of the influences from stories are intentional. For example, you can turn on the news and hear about a news story of a car being hijacked or a shop being robbed. Now, you're likely to overestimate the cram rate in the area and you will feel more at risk as you go outside. Although the concept of going outside is as alien as the Disneyland Paris ad for many people during this pandemic. I personally really do miss being out and about. Um, anyway, back to the topic. I think the mechanism at hand here is something called cognitive ease, where we as humans avoid strenuous cognitive processing, which paves the way for salience bias. Salience means noticeable and, and prominent. It's a term used a lot in psychology. In this case, the judgment of the likelihood of our being a victim of a crime is influenced by the salience of the crime in our minds, which, after watching the horrible news story, is pretty salient. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Every few seconds, there's a motor accident. On the other hand, uh, plane crashes are extremely rare, like one in a one in a million. Yet, um, plane crashes are such a spectacular event that the media reports it a lot, and thus it engages public attention and fear. Cool example. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap up the episode? Hmm. I have a question for you. It's not every day that I get asked a question by one of my guests, actually. Uh, maybe I should do uh, like a flipped interview thing sometime. Um, yeah, but anyway, ask away. Um, when do you personally use storytelling to your benefit? Uh, um, well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just getting a good score on a literature test. <sighs> I rarely get asked to write or retell a story in a literature test. I actually think I'm not too shabby at fictional writing. I once got a max score for the writing a story section of the test, which at the time was pretty wild and everyone was talking about it in my secondary school. And for a week, I felt like self Conan Doyle. Talking about fictional writing, I'm actually writing a script for a play at my school. So I should be able to apply much of my skills there. While I'm talking about quite literal things, obviously I have to use great storytelling when I'm doing a test that asks me to tell the story or when I write scripts as a playwright. Admittedly, I rarely utilised the things we talked about during the last episode and this episode in my daily life. But I have learned a lot from talking to you and from researching for the podcast. And I hope that our listeners have gotten something out of it as well. That leads me on to a smooth transition for the end of the episode. I was going to end the episode with a quote from Stalin, which is, A single death is a tragedy, and a million deaths is a statistic. 
people have different opinions about Stalin, but I think that um, this quote is quite accurate. I wanted to end the episode with a quote, but I just couldn't resist the very smooth transition. So um, maybe I'll edit the quote out. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and finally, thanks everyone for tuning in. And thank you, Kang, for your great insight and an outstanding discussion. You're a wonderful guest and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. I look forward to having you on again. And for the audience, I will see you guys in the very next episode. Goodbye. And don't forget to tune in to the next episode, which will come out next week. Ooh, okay, okay. I'll wait.